0: Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go! Breast implant surgery, whether for aesthetic reasons or reconstructive reasons, is so common these days, it's quite remarkable but there have been some concerns raised with breast implants that have led some patients and their physicians to find the solution to be implant removal. The procedure is called explantation. And that's a whole different ballgame than the original implant placement. The reasons for explantation can be as simple as life changes versus more complex reasons, such as mechanical problems with the implant or concern about illness that may have developed related to the implant. So how, when, and where are explantations performed? And what could be expected afterwards? Are patients always happy? Plus, what does on-block resection mean? And does it always have to be done with the implant removal? Fortunately, we have with us for discussion today a plastic surgeon who has great experience in this area and has been sought out for his expertise, Dr. Brad Storm. Listen into our conversation now. Today, we have with us Dr. Brad Storm. He is a private practice plastic surgeon in Olathe, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. He's also a clinical associate professor of plastic surgery at Kansas University, KU, in Kansas City. Welcome, Dr. Storm.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: And we actually know each other. We've practiced in the same town for quite some time. Of course, I am a retired plastic surgeon, and you are in the process of retiring. You've had a long, successful practice focused on helping patients. And what type of cases did you do primarily?
1: Well, like you, I enjoyed doing a lot of different things. We both did a lot of hand surgery. That's right. In the beginning, and uh, in my practice situation, I did virtually all the reconstructions. And so breast traffic increased in my office over the 33 years I was in practice, so.
0: Breast reconstruction after cancer?
1: Breast reconstruction and uh, cosmetic surgery and major revisional type surgeries.
0: Correcting things from the past, yeah. Yep. So you've had a lot of experience with both breast implant placement, whether for cosmetic or reconstructive purposes, as you say, and breast implant removal over the years. And of course, for this episode, we're focusing on the latter. I do think the listeners will surely benefit from your expertise on this subject. And how many implant removals or explantations, as we tend to call them, do you think you've done in your career?
1: It ramped up a lot just in the last five years. I believe probably 300 in the past five
0: years. Interesting. Is that mainly if you think from word of mouth, or there's just more of a need out there? Or what do you think?
1: Social media.
0: Social media. Interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was surprising to me. These are things that I've done for years. Patients don't want their implants anymore. They don't like the shape of their breast. They need lifts. They're complicated revisions. And it's something I've done for a long time. But several years ago, before COVID, I noticed some increased traffic and, and patients were asking, I, I want you to take my entire envelope out. And the first few times i said yeah i can do that but why do you want that and that's when the topic of breast implant illness uh, came up and then i learned that i was listed as one of the go-to guys in the kansas city metro area who had experience with this and we had had some success with the early ones and boy it just really took off it was something i really (laughs) planned on it just took on a life of its own
0: I bet that was very comforting for those patients, though, to know that they had someone they could rely on who was well-respected and clearly had a track record of doing well with these cases. Um, let me just ask you to explain for the listeners what you mean by the envelope, and you referred to removing the entire envelope. What are you referring to?
1: With breast implants or any kind of uh, man-made device that's implanted, like a pacemaker or a hip replacement, the body will make an envelope around it, sort of a fence, Uh, It's a natural, normal thing.
0: To kind of wall it off.
1: Exactly. And in the breast implant world, that's called the capsule. So when patients say they want the end block removal, which is basically a layman's term for removing the entire envelope around the implant with the implant contained inside of it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what the end block resection is about, and that's what lay people on the social media sites and support sites uh, refer to as the end block resection.
0: And I would like to delve into that more a little bit later in our discussion, but let me just first break down our topic to implant removal from cosmetic procedures or aesthetic surgeries versus those from reconstructive. And let's start talking about the cosmetic patients first. You mentioned just a few of these, but what are some of the reasons that people might request or need an explantation?
2: There are a few different groups. The simplest patient is a patient that we've taken care of for years who doesn't have any concerns about breast implant illness. They perhaps read about it. They've made up their mind. They don't have any symptoms of it. They're just simply finished with implants. They're too big. They're too hard. They're too high. They're too low. You know, they had them place 20 30 years ago in their 20s then they're done that and they're just finished with them they don't need them and they may be ruptured that's the other reason of course and in those cases you remove their implants and you're not doing any acrobatics as far as making sure you get every last bit of the capsule and things like that
0: so ruptured means that the implant just because of age has broken apart basically and you know Whatever filling is in there, whether it's saline or silicone, has leaked to some degree, but generally stays right there. Right.
2: That is the difference, of course, as you mentioned. Saline is just filled with IV fluid, so your body just absorbs it. It goes flat. You notice it, and you call mm-hmm. your doctor. Silicone, yeah. your body doesn't absorb it. You may not notice a lot of changes in your breast after a silicone rupture. So sometimes they're silent. Mm-hmm. But the FDA recommends that you take the implant material out.
0: Once it's discovered that it's ruptured. Yeah. And then what about a capsular contracture? We talked a little bit about what a capsule is, that outer lining of breast tissue, kind of like scar tissue that the body forms around the implant to wall it off. And it can tighten over time, as sometimes scar tissue does, whether that's in response to a leak or not. Is that sometimes a reason you would go in and take out an implant? Is it uncomfortable for the patient sometimes?
2: Well, certainly a driving force and doing a revision, uh, some patients Mm -hmm. say, well, I need to do something about this capsule contracture and of my options, I choose not to replace it. In which case we do the explant, we don't replace the implant. And other people say, well, I want you to do something to make that tight envelope better, but I'm not comfortable going without an implant at this point in my life. And so we just replace it with something else.
0: Gotcha. And, you know, we just talked about this a little bit, but silicone versus saline. Is there concern about silicone gel that is outside the implant but still inside the body? What do you tell patients when they ask you if there's a worry there?
2: Well, to begin, the FDA recommends that if you have silicone outside of the implant shell, that it needs to be replaced. So, There's really not a lot of controversy about that. Patients are quite accepting of moving the implant and the gel that's escaped.
0: Yeah. I think listeners would be very curious to hear from us as surgeons, and you in particular, (laughs) since I'm interviewing you. What does a ruptured implant look like when you get inside the body in the process of wanting to take it out? What do you typically encounter?
2: Well, to begin, a lot of times planes of tissue are very thin. So, and you don't want to take out a bunch of normal tissue.
0: You mean there's not a lot covering the implant and not a lot of thickness between the implant and the outside world. Exactly.
2: And so you don't want to take out any more tissue or be more destructive than you have to. So, you may make a little small hole in the envelope around the implant, and then you see that gel start to come out of the hole. It's really not a mystery at that point. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah, to, you've ruptured, got a yeah. ruptured implant. And then yeah. we, we really try to contain that spill as much as we can, more for practical reasons. Silicone gel that's free if you take sure. out the envelope completely and try to limit the mess, basically.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a bit of a gooey mess, isn't it? Jellyfish. <laughs> so, like a jellyfish. Yes, yes. But then it all gets washed out and all is good. Well, if nothing goes wrong with an implant, so to speak, we don't have these problems or life changes or rupture or capsular contracture. How long should patients expect to keep their implants? Do they have to be removed at some point?
2: That's a great question. And it's a common misconception yeah. among doctors and our plastic surgeons and and patients as well. And that is you don't ever have to have an implant replaced unless there's a problem with it. It's common that people will say, well, I heard that it was every 10 years or I heard it was every 15 years. But, you know, we both have seen patients from the 70s, 80s, 90s that have intact breast implants. And nowadays, I believe the numbers would be somewhere around 5 to 10% at 10 years will have a rupture, which means... Mm-hmm. 90, 95% of patients at 10 years have perfectly okay implants that don't need to be replaced. So that number gets lower and lower as time goes on. It's a pretty flat curve. And so there is no rule about when you have to have your implants replaced. It's based on trouble. That makes
0: sense. Well, there have been other concerns about breast implants lately, particularly silicone implants or just having an implant in altogether. Could you give some brief thoughts about some of the more serious disease that can rarely be related to implants? You briefly touched on breast implant illness. Um, Could you explain that a little bit? And then there are are one or two other issues that are sometimes at play. Could you tell us your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think the first thing to remind people of is Breast implants are the most thoroughly studied medical device in the history of medical devices. And we probably don't have time to talk about the whole business in the nineties when there was more moratorium and so forth, but the studies have been done and to the satisfaction of the FDA and silicone was under question and was re-released in 2006, it didn't stop all the controversy though. And. Of the things that can go wrong with the breast implant, I would say by far number one would be ALCL, which is a very rare cancer that can occur around an implant. And the odds are like one in a thousand or less. And it only occurs in the implants that have the fuzzy surface, textured implants. And smooth implants that have that smooth, slick, Appearing outside, we don't think it can even happen in those patients. It's a very curable cancer. It's not breast cancer, it's a lymphoma. It's an overaction yeah. of the immune system. It occurs after the implants have been in seven to 10 years. Usually it shows up as a fluid collection, and you aspirate the fluid. The cells are in the fluid. They tell you that the patient has the disease, and you proceed from there but to remove the implant and the capsule around and success rates are very high mortality with it was primarily early on with patients that ignored it or the doctors that were uninformed or didn't know what they were dealing with before it was right where it was eliminated and so that's that's the number one worst thing
0: and we're lucky that it's that it's so rare
2: it's crazy rare so yeah that's number one number two People still believe there are some diseases that may be caused or made worse by exposure to a man-made device like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, mixed connective disease, Sjogren's syndrome. These are all autoimmune diseases. And the logic is Mm -hmm. your body recognizes the implant as being foreign. It makes antibodies. Those antibodies cause damage in tissues that aren't foreign. Mm -hmm. That's definitely not a proven concept, but it's one of the things that is being worked out right now in terms of the breast implant illness. Mm -hmm. Breast implant illness is a list of about 24 different variable symptoms. There's not a constellation of symptoms that is typical of it. And there's no lab data, there's no x-ray, there's yeah. nothing we can do. I it's tough people. because, you know, the mean age of the patients that are having these symptoms who want an explant is about 45. Uh-huh. And so the list of symptoms may be hair loss, fatigue, muscle pain, joint pain, eye issues, rashes, foggy brain function. <laughs> And if you went to your doctor as a 45-year-old woman and didn't have breast implants, guess what your doctor's going to tell you? This is part of where you're at now and we'll work on this thing. But when you have breast implants, it throws in the curveball that you're going to go online and you're going to find people who are going to tell you, well, it's your implants that are making you sick. Mm. The problem also is that good studies that we have that are controlled, over 90% of patients say they're better after they have their explantation done. And that's not scientific evidence that there's a connection. But on the other hand, it's hard to ignore. And for the lay public, it's natural for them to say, okay, they have all these symptoms, they have their implants out, and now they're gone, what else could it be? And it's not the scientific method, but it is hard to ignore. And so that's what's launched the doctor's side, the scientists into saying, okay, what's going on here? Why does this work? Why is this so successful? What is the minimum we have to do to make people better? And those are the big questions for surgeons. It's like, What do I have to do to make this go away at a high frequency and Mm -hmm. is easiest on the patient without putting them through a lot? And there are a million things like this in surgery. It's like mastectomies. You know, in the beginning, they thought you had to remove the breast, all the skin, both the muscles, all the lymph nodes, a horribly deforming operation. Later they said, okay, maybe. We don't take all the muscles and the cure rate was the same. And then later they said, well, maybe we can leave some of the skin behind for reconstruction and the cure was the same. And then later they said, what if we just take out the lump of do radiation instead of doing a mastectomy and the cure was the same. there's a common thread in surgery. We do what we think we have to. And then we figure out what is the least that we have to put a patient through to get better. And that's where we're at now. That makes
0: sense. Very good. Well, what about the patients who have had implants placed for breast reconstruction after cancer? Why might they need or wish an explantation? Similar reasons, or there are different reasons. And are their situations sometimes considered more of a challenge, especially if you've had radiation or scar tissue or, you know, who knows what?
2: Well, there are two groups. One is the patient that is Extremely extremely unhappy with the result. And as you know, like from radiation or partial flap loss or capsular contracture, they have a result that's really not satisfactory. They've been through all they want to go through. Mm -hmm. Radiation causes the tissue not only to get tight and firm, but it also makes it very difficult to rely on in an operation.
0: Rely on it to heal.
2: And they have pain. So that is something that's pretty easy to justify because you've got a terrible result and you think the patient's gonna be happy enough with the improvement in their symptoms that you, yeah. you feel comfortable moving forward.
0: Just get that implant out, yeah.
2: The one that bothers me the most is the patient who has a successful reconstruction. And yeah, yeah. of course, you know as well as I do What's involved in that and the hard work that's involved on the patient's side. To get there. And, yeah. and the doctor's side to get there. And you have a perfectly suitable reconstruction and the patient thinks they have breast implant illness.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah.
2: That's really heartbreaking and hard. And we have some hard, long conversations before I do an explant in that case, because that's like having a mastectomy twice. It's a Physical, good way
0: to think about it.
2: The psychological yeah. impact is really tough even when they feel better and it's really heartbreaking when and i'm not sure i've ever seen this in practice but if you completely destroy a suitable reconstruction and the patient does feel better
0: does not right. feel better that's a terrible situation yeah, yeah. It's, it's
2: really sad and you
0: think that was the wrong path yeah, yeah. oh frustrating well, we've talked about why we might want to do an explantation. Let's talk about how it's actually done. How do you go about removing implants? Where would it be done? What's involved and what about recovery or downtime?
2: It's done in an operating room under general anesthetic, you know, to begin with. It's even the most minor operations are going to take at least an hour or some depending on the surgeon and the technique, you know, may go over four hours. To begin with, implants that are in front of the pectoralis muscle, prepectoral or subfascial or subglandular, they're all the same terms. Those are easier to remove. Because you don't have to operate on the muscle. You don't have to operate on the capsule that's stuck to the ribs. So there are fewer to complications, fewer things that can go wrong mm-hmm. and much quicker recovery for the patient. You go through an incision, usually near the fold under the breast mm-hmm. and you divide down to you get to that envelope. And then you just dissect on the surface of the envelope with mm-hmm. an electric needle. And that's about as easy as it gets. If mm-hmm. you have to take one out that's under the muscle, that means that muscle, which is very thinned out mm-hmm. over the years. You have to peel that muscle off of the envelope and try to preserve it before you can take it out. And you have to dissect behind it on that capsule. And that's stuck to usually at least two or three ribs. That you have to painstakingly scrape the lining off of the ribs. You have higher complications of lung puncture, bleeding. So it's not something you want to do unless you're convinced you have to. And Everybody thought we had to in the very beginning, but now we have some good studies that show patients that don't have the complete capsule removal had the same improvement as patients.
0: In symptoms. In symptoms, exactly,
2: as the patients who had partial removal, leaving behind the parts that increase the complication rate, such as bleeding, lung puncture.
0: So going back to the on block resection, you're saying that you don't always have to do that on block resection of the tissue, the body's tissue around the implant. Sometimes you could just take part of that, or maybe even on occasion just take the implant.
2: Yes, and and there's good data to indicate that. Now the Aesthetic Society Education Group they funded a study that was not funded by industry. No implant company. Mm-hmm, the implant yeah.
0: companies, yeah.
2: And it was Plastic Surgeon's own donated money. They tried to sort this out. And the outcome of that study was you don't have to take the whole envelope out. Now, sometimes yeah. you still do. I do it for patients who have that really calcified, hard envelope.
0: So it's kind of turned to stone right. almost, kind of it's like, like a an eggshell. Yeah, that's uncomfortable to leave yeah. in. So
2: And the complication rates of leaving it in are a little. Higher. And so I take those out, or at least the vast majority of them, when they're under the muscle. Yeah. If there's a question of ALCL, and the treatment for ALCL is removal of the entire envelope, and you have a surprise that with a textured implant with fluid around it. If you got the whole envelope out, then you may be finished, even if you find ALCL.
0: Yeah. Because it's all self contained at that exactly. point.
2: So there are reasons to take out the whole envelope sometimes, but when the implants are under the muscle, I believe it definitely increases the recovery time, the pain, the complications. And I'm still willing to do it in patients who want the entire envelope out. But again, we have a very frank discussion about the fact that there's scientific evidence. That would indicate they don't have to go through that.
0: Yeah, it's nice to have. Well, after an explantation is done, you know, this multitude of patients you've had for various reasons, what's been the overall response of your patients to living without the implant?
2: Well, it's a spectrum between patients who you hardly recognize they don't have an implant anymore. Uh-huh. which is not common, but it's frequent. So there's
0: enough tissue left behind that it's not that big exactly. of a deal.
2: They they don't really notice the difference. I also, when the implants are under the muscle, I always repair the pectoralis muscle just to avoid uh-huh. the motion artifacts, the animation deformities that follow. Also, mm-hmm. some patients' implants under the muscle will have pain related to nerve traction, things like that. So they'll see pain relief. We have the patients in the middle, probably three quarters of the patients that I operated on, I did a breast lift at the same time.
0: Yes. And tell us why you did that.
2: Well, to circle around, there are two options. You can do the explant and then do nothing else. And then the breast tissue that was stretched out over this implant, there may be an adequate amount of it, but It was stretched out over that dome of the implant and it has a limited capacity to shrink back. Also, the nipple and the areola may have dropped too low. And Mm -hmm. the reason they were as high as they were is because the implant was holding them up.
0: Yeah, holding things up. Yeah.
2: And then you take that out, and the patient can have a pretty long, flat breast that hangs way too low. And it'll shrink back some. But again, the average age in the studies that I've seen is about 45 and your skin elasticity drops off pretty dramatically with menopause and age, and some damage. And so mm-hmm. these people can't expect a whole lot of improvement. And once it heals that way in that shape, in my experience, it's harder to try to straighten things out later once it's healed. Because it's not a matter of just tightening the skin as is common in a lot of uh, breast lifts in patients without implants where you're just taking away edge of skin, lifting things up. This is basically mm-hmm. reassembling the tissue that's stretched out over the implant using flaps of tissue or segments of tissue still attached and rotating them into the place where the implant used to be to try to fill that volume that's Mm -hmm. there because the implant's out. And so you can-
0: That's a real challenge. It is a (laughs) trick.
2: And and that's part of the challenge of it is raising up the nipple and the areola, usually, and bringing those flaps of tissue around to fill in uh, the space where the implant used to be in.
0: There's the finesse of a plastic (laughs) surgeon right there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's beauty versus blood supply, they say. Uh, yeah That yeah. tissue's already been operated on, you're making incisions and relying on what's left to nourish tissue that's left behind. And so yeah. it's a trick, but I think the best results often come when you do that up front, yeah. rather than try to fix something that's already healed in a very bad position.:
0: Yeah, Step and down, of course, so to speak, yeah. you know,
2: most patients, they don't want to have any more surgeries than they want to have. So you can say we can do this all at once or we can plan on doing two operations and almost everyone wants to get it all done at once.
0: Understandable. Well, I'm curious, and I say this because I've seen it in my past practice, but have you ever had a patient come back and say, okay, I've been living without the implants. I don't like that and I would like implants back in. What's been your experience?
2: As I said, in over 300 patients, I think I've done that twice. <laughs> I had yeah. one lady who wasn't really convinced she had breast implant illness. And that's, that's one group of patients. They want their implants out. They don't think they probably have breast implant illness, but they've read about it. And they think, well, if I'm going to have my implants out and leave them out. I might as well do this end block thing. Because if this turns out to be an issue that's for real, then I'm done. I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. it. So this was one of those ladies that said, well, take the envelope out. I'm not, I'm not a big believer in it, but I want her to be done with it. And as she lost a bunch of weight after her surgery on purpose. And her breast shape and the skin envelope was great, but it was just completely deflated. And she yeah, said, not much I want another implant. And I slipped in mm-hmm. a subfascial implant. She was just tickled with it. Not as big? Not as big. And then I had another circumstance just like that within the past few months.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does happen. It's it's interesting when it does, but it's, you know, well and
2: oftentimes plastic surgery, as you know, Things work out a lot better when the patient is convinced they know what it's like not to have it. And then they're more agreeable yes. to anything after that once they already know. And it's like
1: Thanks. delayed yeah. breast
2: reconstruction. Patients yeah. commonly are happy because they lived without a breast. And then you go in later, do a breast reconstruction, and... They know what it's like not to have a breast. So yeah. they're accepting issues that might arise, whereas it goes the other way.
0: Makes sense. Well, you know, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, what do you see on the horizon? Is there any further breast implant surgery advances that are just not quite here yet? Or is there anything you'd like to see be pursued or developed?
2: Well, I don't think this breast implant illness thing's going to go away. I would really love to have some good science that everybody agrees upon. I'd love to be able to do an X-ray or a blood test on a patient before an augmentation and say, be at high risk of having these issues. That's a great idea. Because the fact is, even if you're a staunch believer in breast implant illness, you have to agree that it's a very small number of patients who have it. So the issue is we're not going to, Tell every patient they can't have a breast augmentation because of risk, of breast implant illness, especially our reconstruction yeah. patients who 80% yeah. of reconstructions are with implants. So yeah. you can't tell a patient you have to have an eight hour operation that avoids an implant because Shouldn't. we've decided yeah. you can't have breast implants because a small percentage of patients get breast implant illness. Um. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: We need to get the science rounded up. We need to know the minimum we can do to to these patients to make these patients better. And we need Mm -hmm. to figure out who these patients are before they ever get an implant so they know what they're getting into.
0: Yeah, that's a great thought. Well, any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with about implants or explantation or just plastic surgery in general?
2: I would say if I had advice for patients that are considering explantation because of concerns over breast implant illness, make sure you're getting information from more than one source. Yeah. You know, there are websites like breast explant regret or something like that. It's a website where patients have had explantation and they were disappointed, look on sites. Other than sites that are very pro in block resection, just look around and, and try to get more than one source of information. So going into it, if you don't get better and you're not happy with your recovery or your final result, you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. So make sure you go in with your eyes open. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, I think that's a wise thought and it's been a delight having this conversation with you Dr. Bradstorm and enlightening the listeners from your great experience with the topic. So thanks for being You're here. A pleasure. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested, and while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.